Welcome to Ancient Words, Modern Message. I'm your host, Roger Womble. The past is a mirror, and the more we examine what came before us, the more we can understand where we are heading. Hebrews 12.6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Nowhere is this clearer than in God's relationship with his chosen people, Israel. The ups and downs of this relationship are the subject of the prophet's message to his people. Let's consider it together in the second episode of I Love You Truly, studies in the book of Hosea. We're going to be looking this evening at Hosea chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Let me begin by saying that I commend you for showing up for these Bible studies, because the fact of the matter is uh, there's some heavy-duty stuff here. Uh, The way we're approaching our Bible study is not necessarily for sissies. This is not light stuff. This is some pretty complicated, challenging stuff, looking at the minor prophets of the Old Testament as we have been. Uh, this, this is something that can really uh, be a challenge to, to our understanding and really even a challenge to our interest. And so I want to, I want to just commend you for being interested in this and for coming out. And uh, we'll continue to try to make it as clear as possible. Uh, But Hosea really is a fascinating book. And let me uh, just take you back in history. Uh, A long time B.C. Or, as our Jewish friends would put it, a long time B.C.E. Let's go back about 1400 B.C. And around 1400 B.C. or... 1400 BCE, about 3,500 years ago. The book of Deuteronomy tells us that Moses, who led the Jewish people out of Egypt, slavery, bondage in Egypt, and led them through their wilderness wanderings, which, because of their disobedience in many cases, lasted a lot longer than they should have, namely 40 years. Now, according to the book of Deuteronomy, specifically chapter 27, I'll read just a couple verses uh, from that for you. But at that period of time, we read that Moses was 120 years old. And God made it clear to Moses that he was going to be dying very, very soon. He would not be allowed to actually enter the promised land. You see, they had not yet crossed over the Jordan River. They, the children of Israel, and Moses and their leaders, the priests, the Levites, were still on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And they were getting ready to cross the Jordan and to begin the conquest of the promised land. But because of Moses' disobedience, God said that he would not be allowed to actually enter the promised land. But God did say that he would be able to go up to a high mountain 
Mount Nebo, also called uh, Mount Pisgah, and he would be able to look across and actually see the promised land. And so as Moses is approaching the end of his life, he gathers the nation of Israel together and he reviews all of the points of the law that God had given to Moses on Mount Sinai during those wilderness wanderings and on their way from Egypt to the promised land. And so now Moses, at the end of his life, is reviewing the law that God had given to the nation of Israel, and he is about to depart this life. Incidentally, the name of the book, Deuteronomy, literally means the second law. Deuteronomos, the second law. So it's really a review of the law that God is giving through Moses to the nation of Israel. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 27, and I know you don't have the text in front of you, so I'll read it for you. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 1. And Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you this day. Keep all the commandments which I command you this day. You see, the book of Deuteronomy up to that point, up to Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 1, is basically a review of all the commandments, and very much in detail. And so now, God, through Moses, is saying to the people, I command you to observe all of these points of the law. And then what follows in Deuteronomy chapter 28 is a statement by Moses, by God through Moses, of the conditions of receiving blessings from God when they would go into the land of promise in the near future, and what would bring curses upon them. And so that's what we have here in Deuteronomy chapter 28. That is the conditions of blessing and the conditions of cursing for the nation of Israel. So Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 2. God through Moses says this, It shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. And then what follows is a list of all the many blessings that God would give to Israel in the promised land if they obeyed the law. But then, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And what follows there is a list of all the bad things that would happen, including defeat by their enemies and dispersion from their land to other parts of the world. And so what we have here is God saying to Israel through Moses, if you obey, 
and follow me faithfully, you'll be blessed. If you don't obey and follow me faithfully, you will be cursed. However, just a few chapters later, as God is getting Moses ready to take him up into Mount Nebo and show him the promised land, and then basically end his life at the age of 120, at that period of time, God makes it very clear to Moses that even though the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, had been warned, they wouldn't heed the warning. That in fact, they were going to go ahead when they got into the land, and they were going to be disobedient and unfaithful to God, and they would be punished. So Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thy days approach that thou must die. Call Joshua, present yourselves in the tabernacle of the congregation, that I may give him, Joshua, a charge. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of the congregation. That's the tabernacle, the portable house of worship in the wilderness. And the Lord appeared in the tabernacle in a pillar of a cloud, and the pillar of the cloud stood over the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and play the harlot. Now that's very relevant to our study of Hosea. This people will rise up and play the harlot after the strange gods of the land to which they go to be among them, and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day. Remember all the curses that were promised if they were disobedient? Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Are not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day for all the evils which they shall have wrought, in that they are turned unto other gods. Now you need to have that uh, premise, if you will, before we move on with our study of Hosea. There's another, I think, very important backdrop that I'd like to set for you against which God's handling of Israel as a nation, as a people, must be set. And this actually is something that we find in the New Testament, and it is the, the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the whole issue of God's disciplining his children and what it means when God disciplines his children. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, makes this statement. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, that is discipline, when you are disobedient, when you are rebellious, as his children, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, without discipline, of which all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Important spiritual principle there. 
Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, he chastens. Keeping that in mind, we come to our text. And so if you would look at your text there of Hosea chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, I don't know if you knew this before, but the fact of the matter is that the verse division uh, in our English Bible uh, is not part of God's inspiration of the Bible. I believe that the Bible, as given by God through the original writers, is without error. It is inerrant. However, uh, we have to understand that when the Bible was originally given, it wasn't given with verses. And so the versification of the, the text is something that is not part of the inspired text. And for example, if you were to look at the Hebrew Bible, uh, probably the most widely accepted Hebrew text of the Old Testament, you would discover that uh, Hosea chapter 1, which we've already looked at, Hosea chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, are actually not in the Hebrew Bible, Hosea chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. But in the Hebrew Bible, Hosea chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, are actually Hosea chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, the reason why that is significant is I would remind you of our previous study of Hosea chapter 1. And you'll remember what we studied before and how God using Hosea's marriage and his children is predicting really bad things for the northern kingdom of Israel. And remember, Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. And God is really depicting in Hosea's marriage to Gomer and his three children, uh, Jezreel and Lo-Ruchomah and Lo-Ami, God is predicting some terrible things that would happen to Israel, uh, the northern kingdom specifically then, but later on the southern kingdom as well. But then in verses 10 and 11 of Hosea chapter 1, God says, in spite of all of these things that are going to befall the Jewish people because of their disobedience, let me read verse 10 of Hosea 1. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, you are the sons of the living God. Verse 11, then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. And in the Hebrew Bible, that's verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2, and now then we come to what in our English text we have as verse 1 of chapter 2. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. You see, the point here is this. In Hosea chapter 1, God predicts terrible things for the Jewish people. But in verses 10 and 11 and chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, however, the time is coming when things are going to turn around completely for the nation of Israel. 
And so really, these three verses, Hosea 1, 10, and 11, and chapter 2, verse 1, they actually refer to and promise Israel's future restoration and reconciliation. Now let's look at chapter 2, verse 2, and following. In Hosea chapter 2, uh, verse 2, uh, the focus of God's instruction to Hosea changes. In chapter 1, the focus is symbolic. We've already said in chapter 1, Hosea chapter 1, that Hosea's marriage and his children, that is his marriage to a woman who would eventually be repeatedly unfaithful to him, and the three children that would be born from that marriage and their names, Jezreel, God scatters, Lo Ruchamah, I will not have mercy on the disobedient children of the northern kingdom. Lo Ami, they will not be my people. So Hosea's marriage, his children, all of that is symbolic. But now in this second verse, the focus changes from the symbolic, Hosea's domestic life, to dogmatic. And what I mean by that is now Hosea turns to the nation of Israel. The prophet turns to the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people, and he basically says to them, this is what God wants you to know. And so here, verse 2, Hosea chapter 2, verse 2, God says to Hosea, plead with your mother. Who is his mother? Well, it refers to the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people. God says to Hosea, plead with your fellow Jews, with the Jewish people, with the nation of Israel. Plead with her as my prophet, because she's not my wife, and I am not her husband. Now that sounds a little bit odd, because clearly God identifies himself in the Old Testament as being the husband of Israel. Israel is his covenant wife. So what does this mean? Well, what it means is God is saying to Hosea, say to Israel, you're not acting like my wife. You're not acting like I'm your husband. Say to Israel, you are like a stranger to me. It's as if you're not my wife and I am not your husband. Plead with your mother, plead that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like the wilderness, make her like a parched land, kill her with thirst upon her children also. That is the Jewish people who would be born in the future to the northern kingdom of Israel. Upon her children also, I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. And remember back in chapter 1, God said to Hosea, I want you to marry a woman of whoredom who would be unfaithful to you, and you are going to have children of whoredom. That is to say, your children are going to be the children of a woman who has acted as a prostitute in being unfaithful in her marriage. Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. That's very strong language. But that is what 
Hosea is told by God to declare to the nation of Israel. Because of their spiritual infidelity, following after other gods, like a wife follows after other men and is unfaithful to her husband, because of all of that, God talks about what is going to take place here. I want you to take a look at the rest of the text and, and notice the progression of God's dealing with spiritually adulterous Israel, which we'll see was symbolized by Hosea's dealing with literally adulterous Gomer. And that is the, that is the uniqueness of this book of Hosea. That Hosea's domestic life, his marriage, his children, is really a picture of God's relationship with Israel and Israel's spiritual infidelity to God and how God handles that, how God deals with the nation of Israel. And so here you have that concept developed. So first of all, in the second part of verse 5 and then in verse 8, we, we see a reference to the allure and deception of the stranger. The allure and deception of the stranger. Again, the idea is, if you can think in terms of Gomer, Hosea's unfaithful wife. And Hosea is a loving husband to Gomer. He wants nothing but her, her blessing and her best interest. He does all kinds of wonderful things for her, and she turns her back on him. And she chases after other men. She chases after strangers. And the verses here, the second part of verse 5 and verse 8, talk about the allure of the stranger. Notice the second part of verse 5. She, that is Israel, but Gomer demonstrating that, for she uh, has said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. It's a picture of a wife, or it could just as easily be a husband, who is married to a spouse but who says, you know, I'm not getting everything from my husband or my wife that I think I need or I want. And maybe if I go outside of marriage and go after someone else, I will get what I need. There is the allure of the stranger. That is exactly what Israel was doing. Israel was saying to her husband, Jehovah, God, I think I can do better with other gods, with strange gods, than with you. Just as Gomer said to Hosea, I think I can do better than you. So that's the idea in the second part of verse 5. And yet, verse 8, she did not know, and this is God speaking to Israel through Hosea, 
She did not know that it was I, God, who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal, a false god. That is the allure and deception of the stranger. Secondly, in this progression, notice, if you would, the fickle nature of illicit love. The fickle nature of illicit love. God says to Israel through Hosea, because of your infidelity, because of your unfaithfulness to me, therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. So this is the idea that even though Israel has chased after other gods, God is going to say, I'm going to chastise you. I'm going to judge you in such a way that you won't be able to chase those false gods anymore, no matter how hard you might try. And so then, verse 7, then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband. I'll return to God, for it was better for me than now. And, of course, you read on verses 9 and 10. God says, therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. The picture is this, that Gomer is going to get to the point where her lovers don't even want her anymore. And all of a sudden, she says, it was better off when I was with my husband. Keep that in mind as we see that develop later on. Finally, there's God's chastening of Israel as an indication of his true love. Remember what I said about the Hebrews 12 passage? For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. God's correction, God's discipline, God's chastening is a sign of his love. It's a sign of his true love. And that's what we have in these remaining verses. Verse 11, God says to Israel through Hosea, First of all, the northern kingdom is going to be judged. The northern kingdom is going to be defeated by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. About 140 years later, the Babylonians are going to sweep down on the southern kingdom and destroy the southern kingdom. And basically, from that time onward, God has been pouring out his discipline, his chastisement on the nation of Israel and on the Jewish people. And this is the description of that chastisement. Verse 11, I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all of her appointed feasts. Now you say, well, yeah, but Israel and the Jewish people are still observing all the holidays. Well, this is specifically referring to the judgment that took place when the northern kingdom was defeated by the Assyrians and the southern kingdom was defeated by the Babylonians. But even in another sense, it talks about century after century after century of the Jewish people who were not in Israel. 
They have been scattered to the other most, other most parts of the earth. And they were not able to observe their Sabbaths, their new moons, their appointed feasts in the land of Israel because of their disobedience. Verse 12, I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them, God says, I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field shall devour them. You see, what happened was when Israel was carried off into captivity, northern kingdom by the Assyrians, southern kingdom by the Babylonians, in a very real sense, the land of Israel became a wasteland. Even in the early part of the 20th century, in the early 1900s, when there were a few Jews living in Israel, but not many at all. The Jews had been scattered to other most parts of the earth. The land of Israel was basically a mosquito-infested swampland. And really, these verses describe it. Verse 12, I will lay waste her vines, her fig trees, even though she said, oh, look at all these wonderful things I have around me. My lovers, that is my false gods, have given these things to me. And verse 13, I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, the false gods, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with a ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. That's powerful stuff. And it did indeed take place. But I want to remind you that the message of the prophets to Israel of judgment is always followed with a message of restoration. God hasn't done this yet, but God says it is going to take place that in the future, the Jewish people are going to be regathered in the land, which has begun, and he's going to work in them in such a way that ultimately they are going to be restored to him and reconciled with him. This is what we mean when we talk about God's true love, his everlasting love of the nation of Israel. So we're going to be looking in our next study at the second part of Hosea chapter 2. So I encourage you to stay tuned for another promise in the second part of Hosea 2 of Israel's future restoration and reconciliation found in these remaining verses. By the way, that promise is consistent with something we read in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. I'm sure you're familiar with the passage. God says through Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah, by the way, was predicting terrible judgment. In fact, he was witnessing ter terrible judgment on the southern kingdom uh, of the southern kingdom because of the Jews' disobedience and rebellion against God. And in the midst of that, God says this to the Jewish people, Jeremiah 31, 3. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I titled this series, I Love You Truly. And that is God's message to the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people. And that is that he loves them with an everlasting love. And he is going to chastise them. He has already. And he's going to continue to do so until they turn back to him, at which time he is going to welcome them back as a loving husband. I know that that passage, Jeremiah 31, verse 3, 
is given specifically to the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. God saying, I love you with an everlasting love. But I would remind you of something that we read in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. And whereas I think in principle, Jeremiah 31.3 can be claimed by all of us, that God says to all of us, I love you and I have loved you with an everlasting love. But to those who have come to know Christ as their Savior through faith in Jesus Christ, the promise of Romans chapter 8 is that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And I want to close this evening and even ask you to stand right now, if you would, please, as I read these verses in Romans chapter 8. Verse 35, and these are God's verses for us who know Christ as our Savior. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, dear folks, is real, true love. And God is saying to us, I love you truly. And that is the message of the book of Hosea. Thanks for your attention this evening. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder in a very dramatic way, not an easy way to read about certainly not an easy way for Israel to have experienced and be experiencing. But we thank you for this reminder that your love is true. We know, Father, that uh, you have not cast away Israel, your bride. We know that in spite of her infidelity to you, necessitating your chastisement, that ultimately she is going to be brought back to you after going through some very, very difficult days. And we thank you, Father, for the reminder as well that your love for us, your people, your children through faith in Christ is an everlasting love, that nothing can separate us from your love. We thank you, Father, for the truth of that and for the difference that it makes in our lives. I pray your blessing upon each one of these dear folks as they head for their homes this evening. Put a hedge of protection around them and their loved ones and pour out your blessing upon them, for which we will give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to Ancient Words, Modern Message. You can expect a new episode every other Monday, so please join us again. Ancient Words, Modern Message is supported by Hebrew Christian Fellowship. To learn more about our ministry or to ask a question, contact us at hcfellowship4819 at gmail.com. If you know someone who might be interested in this teaching, please share it with them. And please consider leaving a review of what you've heard on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make our program even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for Ancient Words, Modern Message, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and tell us what you think. Ancient Words, Modern Message is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. And I'm your host, Roger Womble, reminding you that the Word of God is living and active. Until next time, showers of blessings on you and those you love.